0: This is an excerpt of Luther's Sermon on John chapter two, The Wedding at Cana, which is prepared for the second Sunday after Epiphany, uh, an excerpt regarding the doctrine and example of love and of faith from the Church Postal. In the second place, Luther preaches. To return to our gospel lesson, we see here an example of love in Christ and his mother. The mother renders service and takes the part of the housekeeper. Christ honors the occasion by his personal presence, by a miracle and a gift. And all this is for the benefit of the groom, the bride, and the guests, as is the nature of love and its works. Thus Christ lures all hearts to himself to rely on him as ever ready to help, even in temporal things, and never willing to forsake any, so that all who believe in him shall not suffer want, be it in spiritual or temporal things. Rather, must water become wine, and every creature turned into the thing his believer needs. He who believes must have sufficient, and no one can prevent it. But the example of faith is still more wonderful in this gospel. Christ waits to the very last moment when the want is felt by all present, and there is no counsel or help left. This shows the way of divine grace. It is not imparted to one who still has enough, and has not yet felt his need for grace does not feed the full and satiated but the hungry as we have often said whoever still deems himself wise strong and pious and finds something good in himself and is not yet poor miserable sick sinner and fool the same cannot come to christ the lord nor receive his grace but whenever the need is felt he does not at once hasten and bestow what is needed and desired but delays and tests our faith and trust even as he does here. Yea, what is still more severe, he acts as though he would not help at all, but speaks with harshness and austerity. This you observe in the case of his mother. She feels the need and tells him of it, desiring his help and counsel in a humble and polite request, for she does not say, My dear son, furnish us wine, but they have no wine. Thus she merely touches his kindness, of which she is fully assured, as though she would say, He is so good and gracious, there is no need of my asking, I will only tell him what is lacking, and he will of his own accord do more than one can ask. This is the way of faith. It pictures God's goodness to itself in this manner, never doubting but that it is really so, therefore it makes bold to bring its petition and to present its need. But see how unkindly he turns away the humble request of his mother who addresses him with such great confidence? Now observe the nature of faith. What has it to rely on? Absolutely nothing. All is darkness. It feels its need and sees help nowhere. In addition, God turns against it like a stranger and does not recognize it so that absolutely nothing is left. It is the same way with our conscience when we feel our sin and the lack of righteousness or in the agony of death when we feel the lack of life or in the dread of hell when eternal salvation seems to have left us. Then indeed there is humble longing and knocking, prayer and search in order to be rid of sin, death and dread. And then he acts as if we had only begun to show us our sins, as as if death were to continue and hell never to cease. Just as he here treats his mother, by his refusal making the need greater and more distressing than it were before she came to him with her request. For now it seems everything is lost since the one support on which she relied in her need is also gone. This is where faith stands, in the heat of the battle. Now observe how his mother acts here and becomes our teacher. However harsh his words sound, however unkind he appears, she does not in her heart interpret this as anger, or as the opposite of kindness. But adheres firmly to the conviction that he is kind, refusing to give up this opinion because of the thrust she received, and unwilling to dishonor him in her heart by thinking him to be otherwise than kind and gracious, as they do who are without faith, who fall back at the first shock and think of God merely according to what they feel, like the horse and the mule, Psalm 32, 9. For if Christ's mother had allowed those harsh words to frighten her, she would have gone awry, away silently and displeased. But in ordering the servants to do what he might tell them, she proves that she has overcome the rebuff and still expects of him nothing but kindness. What do you think of the hellish blow? When a man in his distress, especially in the highest distress of conscience, receives the rebuff that he feels God declaring to him, What have I to do with thee? Quid mihi et tibi? He must needs faint and despair unless he knows and understands the nature of such acts of God and is experienced in faith. For he will act just as he feels and he will not think of God in a different way and mean the words. Feeling nothing but wrath and hearing nothing but indignation, he will consider God only as his enemy and angry judge. But just as he thinks God to be so, will he find him? Thus he will expect nothing good from him. That is to renounce God with all his goodness. The result is that he flees and hates him, will not have God to be God, and every other blasphemy that is the fruit of unbelief. Hence the highest thought in this gospel lesson, and it must ever be kept in mind, is that we honor God as being good and gracious, even if he acts and speaks otherwise, and all our understanding and feeling be otherwise. For in this way feeling is killed, and the old man perishes, so that nothing but faith in God's goodness remains and no feeling. For here you see how his mother retains a free faith and holds it forth as an example to us. She is certain that he will be gracious, although she does not feel it. She is certain also that she feels otherwise than she believes. Therefore she freely leaves and commends all to his goodness and fixes for him neither time nor place, neither manner nor measure, neither person nor name. He is to act when it pleases him. If not in the midst of the feast, then at the end of it or after the feast, my defeat I will swallow, his scorning me, letting me stand in disgrace before all the guests, speaking so unkindly to me, causing all this to, all of us to blush for shame. He acts tart, but he is sweet, I know. let us proceed in the same way, then we are true Christians. Here note how severely he deals with his own mother teaching us thereby not only the example of faith mentioned above, but confirming that in things pertaining to God and his service we are to know neither father nor mother, as Moses writes in Deuteronomy 33.9, He who says of his father and of his mother, I know them not, observes thy word, Israel. For although there is no higher authority on earth than that of father and mother, still this ends when God's word and work begin. For in divine things neither father nor mother... Still less a bishop or any other person, only God's word is to teach and guide. And if father and mother were to order, teach, or even beg you to do anything for God and in his service that he is not clearly ordered and commanded, you are to reply, Quid mihi et tibi? What have I and you to do with each other? In the same way, Christ here refuses absolutely to do God's work when his own mother wants it. For father and mother are in duty bound, yea, God made them father and mother for this very purpose, not to teach and lead their children to God according to their own notions and devotion, but according to God's command. As St. Paul declares in Ephesians 6, 4, Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but nurture them in the chastening and admonition of the Lord. In other words, teach them God's command and word, as you were taught, and not the notions of your own. Thus, in this gospel lesson, you see the mother of Christ directing the servants away from herself unto Christ, telling them not, Whatsoever I say unto you, do it, but whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. To this word alone you must direct every one, if you would direct aright, so that this word of Mary, Whatsoever saith, he, do it, is and ought to be daily, the daily saying in Christendom, destroying all doctrines of men and everything, not really Christ's word. And we ought firmly to believe that what is imposed upon us over and above God's word is not, as they boast and lie, the commandment of the Church. For Mary says, Whatsoever he saith, that, that, that do, and that alone, for in it there will be enough to do. Here also you see how faith does not fail. God does not permit that, but gives more abundantly and gloriously than we ask. For here, not merely wine is given, but excellent and good wine, and great quantities of it. By this, he again entices and allures us to believe confidently in him, though he delay for he is a tru- for he is truthful and cannot deny himself, he is good and gracious, that he must of himself confess in addition to prove it, unless we hinder him and refuse him time and place and the means to do so. At last he cannot forsake his work, as little as he can forsake himself, if only we can hold out until his hour comes. Amen. This has been an excerpt of Martin Luther's church postal sermon for the second Sunday after Epiphany. On the text of the wedding at Cana, I read paragraphs 12 through 21, which are found on pages 61 to 65 in uh, volume 1.2 of Luther's Church Postals.